through discussion about politics, current events, and whatever else we can think of. We hope that this will inspire you to share and chat more with your dad, be it your biological father, grandfather, stepfather, like a father, or into any other variation. I am your co-host, Aisha DeBerry, and I am here with my fabulous dad, my co-host, Roy DeBerry. Here, here. I agree with you. It's been a while. Hiatus is a good word. Uh, I like your background. It reminds me of being in ancient Egypt or someplace or at the Cairo Museum and, and, and uh, beautiful shots. So, uh, but Aisha, you're right. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, you know, you've been off studying for the bar and that sort of thing. And I've been traveling and doing what I normally do in the summertime, cutting grass and, and taking care of getting houses painted and that sort of thing. But it's always good to get back and and chat. Uh, some of our good friends have missed us over the last month and a half. I hope they didn't miss us too much. And I hope we are now uh, back on a, a regular routine, at least if we get into the fall and winter. I will say this up front, though. We do have a little uptick in the COVID. Uh, we have one of mm -hmm. our relatives that was is now ill in Memphis. She's doing better. But just to let people know that it's still here. Uh, it's not as bad as it has been in the past, but just stay vigilant about it and mm -hmm. protect themselves and their friends and their families and their loved ones. Yeah, awesome. So good so to be back. Good to be back. So let's get started. So, you know, you spoke about COVID. Just funny enough, for those that are just learning about Dad Daughter Dialogues podcast, we actually started during COVID. That was how this podcast even got going. So if you have interest in starting a podcast, let us know. Send us an email. Send us something in the chat for those that like to podcast. And so like Dad mentioned, it's been a bit of a hiatus, but we both realized that we need to get back on the saddle. He's been more adamant than me. So it's not me, it's him um, in terms of making sure that we get back on the saddle. Because not only are we doing this for you all, we really are doing this for each other as well. So um, so with that being said, that you know, there's a lot that we have not had a chance to talk about because so many things have been going on. Um, so you know, what are your thoughts first? We'll start with affirmative action. Well, you know, I guess it was not a surprise that the Supreme Court... Uh, uh, made the decision that they made. This thing came around in, in 1961 with Jeff Kennedy, right? Having yeah. to do with labor and making sure that, you know, companies, at least federal government companies, were fair in terms of their practices with respect to people of color yeah. and other people that have been left outside of the market. But I will say about affirmative action, you know, contrary to our good Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas that seemed to stay in the, <laughs> in the headlines all the time, who obviously used affirmative action to get into to Yale Law School now, he's uh, you know, one of the most pronounced anti-affirmative uh, action people uh, on that court. Uh, white women, for the most part, uh, benefited from affirmative action much more than, than Black people did. And I know I may get some pushback on that, but I think if you look at the historical record, they'll see that while white women had been left out of, out of the system, out of universities, out of the labor market, were able to enter that labor market well, particularly in the 70s and 80s and 90s. And it was yeah. because of affirmative action that did that. With respect to the universities, you know, this, uh, whatever this guy's name is, that has no real love for Asian people, 
uh, has been on this uh, horse about, you know, coming across some Asian students that he could get together and they can file a lawsuit. Yeah. And uh, which they did. So he's been on this horse for a while and was able to bring it before the court and the court ruled, of course, in their favor. Um, I think that's sort of counterintuitive because in many ways, some of the very people like me and others who fought during the 60s to open up the process when Asian students like were not at Brandeis where I went to school mm-hmm. or even at Harvard and Yale and some of the so-called um, Ivy League schools were not present there. So if it had been about merit, it seems to me they would have been in those institutions in great numbers, even in the 60s and 70s, they were not. Yeah. So they have been beneficiaries of this whole movement as well. And I'd say it's kind of counterintuitively and lack of, I think, uh, lack of gratitude to come along and say, well, you know, the Asian students are being discriminated against uh, because of affirmative action. Now, to me, that's nonsense. But I was not surprised that uh, the court rule has been moving in that direction for a number of years now. Yeah, I mean, I will say for those that don't know, I do work around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And many of my colleagues uh, and and teams that are a part of their their teams have been concerned about what that's going to mean for education, but of course, not just education, what that will mean for industry, because we know that a lot of things that happen in education end up spilling over into industry. And quite honestly, I don't have a set answer for what's going to happen. Um, I, I do know that some of these things in terms of discriminatory practices are happening anyway. So I don't know if I necessarily felt directly affected by it in terms of um, the work that still needs to be done, but it was disheartening to see all that work that we have advanced to, and then to hear, um, you know, affirmative action, quote unquote, being taken away. In many ways, I think to your point, I think the private industry can take a lead here because I think it's documented now and shown that if you do have a diverse workplace where you get different ideas and different opinions and have people from different backgrounds, educational background, you know, quote unquote, um, I hate to use the word ethnic background, but that's a reality we are in America. But yeah. the, the the decisions that get made there and the companies are much in a much better place. And I think most people would argue that. So I think they can take the lead and probably lead the universities and even the government sector in ways that the private sector has not done. Speaking about, about affirmative action again, I think that as you know, in the CP and the, uh, the uh, president is from Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, file suit along with others on this legacy thing because we have known for a long time that at these Ivy League schools particularly but other, others as well they have legacy scholarships yeah and students get in because their mom and dad went there they get in because their mom and dad were very wealthy and gave money there are athletes that get in there are certain kids that have certain skill sets and athletics uh they get in I would imagine if you look at those numbers they can be as high as 15 to 20 percent yeah, uh, that that's going to be an issue now. Um, and frankly, I've always felt it was an issue and I always felt it was unfair. Yeah. So I'm not surprised if they want to be really, really, you know, um, what is that thing about justice being equal? Yeah. Then I think that legacy thing got to be overturned as well. I completely agree. It, I mean, yeah, I based on merit. Out, yeah. I mean, I remember one of my first jobs was being a college recruiter and then later sitting on the admissions committee um, as I elevated in my career. And, you know, it was very uh, clear that legacies got a special look, if you will, and potentially 
almost a guaranteed seat in in college and also in professional school where I was working. So that's such a good point because that is something that is clear to an admissions officer that you have to at least take a look at these legacy folks or someone who can bring quote unquote value by way of an athlete. And you can look at certain families, for example. I don't want to call out any family, but you know, John F. Kennedy had gone to Harvard. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Ted, uh, as he came along, I don't understand he was not the, he didn't have some of the best scores in the world, but yet he ended up at Harvard. <laughs> so the point is that these people, wealthy folk that give a lot of money to these institutions, you know for a fact, and everybody knows for a fact, it's been a tradition that those folk, children and grandchildren, get in. And of course, you have the other thing where you have uh, alumni. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, you know, I yep. tried to uh, persuade you to go to Brandeis. Of course, uh-huh. you, you rejected me outright. <laughs> right. I didn't want to be a Waltham. But you probably could have got a few points extra for being the child of an alumni because I had yeah. gone to Brandeis. Well, you know, you could have lived, you could have gone to school in, in Waltham and still been in Boston in your metropolitan area. Uh, only 20 miles away. <laughs> no. By the way, uh, speaking of Waltham, Waltham is a place to go now. I know. what well, it is, but not then. But yes, yeah, you are correct. Yeah. Well, I wanted to live right in the city proper. Dad was yeah. trying to send me out to Brandeis, uh, Tufts, and I believe Smith. Yeah. I Smith. Yeah. In that order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I chose Northeastern. Go Huskies for all those that either know someone from Northeastern or want to go. So go ahead. Well, they say all they should know is that, that you have always been an independent child. <laughs> so, so, so. And guess well, what? Dad helped pay my Go Huskies <laughs> loan. Go Huskies! <laughs> uh, Northeastern oh. is a whole different place now, though. I tell you, it's, it's taken over yeah. uh, the, 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 uh, uh, the place of where, where I used to live, as a matter of fact, when I went to, you know, I went to prep school in Boston for one year before I went to Brandeis and that whole area there in South End and people that's familiar with Boston are familiar with South End has just basically been taken over by, uh, by the university now and where I could afford to live, you know, in an apartment in those days. <laughs> you can't now. I, I can't now. I think the average rent in that area is about $3,000 a month. Yeah, I mean, speaking of which, I know we're well, not for a studio apartment. <laughs> I know it's expensive. Well, also, shout out to all the students going back to college, going yes. back to school, and starting off their freshman year. I just thought about that. You know, I have a colleague, her son is getting ready to go to Boston University, so that made me think about it. And I was in the store today and it was super busy in Target. And uh, I noticed people were getting stuff for the dorm rooms and things. Yeah, that's that right, so, right, good right. luck with all the students that you bypassed affirmative action and made it wherever you you know supposed to go so absolutely have a good year to you, you all and everyone going back to school so i haven't really been following the trump indictment you know for the sake of your listeners i don't know if my age group is really following it as strong unless they're leaning really on the conservative side but i have not been following it because there's so many indictments right. i don't even know where to go anymore i know i'm in georgia and i know he was here so um and being indicted here so yeah. outside of that i don't <laughs> i don't really well, have well let, let me just point this out you you're a lawyer of course and, I, and then i spent uh i don't know an hour two hours reading the entire indictment yeah uh, word for word the mm-hmm. one that uh having to do with the uh, situation that took place in D.C. Now, I didn't spend that much time reading. I, I browsed the one with the with the, uh, the uh, foolery dealing with the woman, you know, with the, trying to pay off. And yeah. then, of course, the other foolery that took place with the uh, documents down in Florida. Yeah. Uh, but this one to me uh, and the one in Georgia, 
uh, was serious. And I spent some time reading the actual indictment. And I tell you what, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a judge, but that indictment is tight. Yeah. And they can talk all they want to about freedom of speech. It is not a freedom of speech issue as I read this indictment. It's about the fact of the action you took. Yeah. yeah, you have freedom of speech, but as a judge pointed out, freedom of speech has some limitations, like all of our amendments to the Constitution yeah. have some limitations. And when you talk about the fact that what was planned uh, on, on, I think, three or four major pieces there, um, um, the, 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 uh, the council, the uh, special counsel mm -hmm. and his staff. Uh, you know, and I'm not the one that really favored prosec the prosecutor, right? Because we've talked yeah. about prosecution and grand jury versus the defense. And yeah. so I tend to come on down on the side of the defense. But in this case, as I read this indictment as a non-lawyer, but just as an average citizen, if I was sitting on that jury, that is a very tight piece of paper. And yeah. that's for a two-page indictment. And so give document. some more context, Dad. Give some more context of people that may not have had it. Now, of course, they can go and read it. We know we're just giving you a little taste. But I, 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 I would suggest that you, that you do go and read it because in one in one case you're talking about um, trying to uh, you put together fake electors. Mm -hmm. uh, you're trying to overturn the rights of people to vote, which is another part of the indictment. Uh, and then that first one where you you were in conspiracy mm -hmm. uh, with someone else. Uh, to and they you know, name them as conspiracy ones, conspiracy two, and most people know who these folk are, right? And they probably know who they are too, because they probably, if they have not been indicted already, they probably will be indicted. And yeah. so there were three or four things where you're really trying to overturn an election, yeah. um, and nobody uh, said that you don't have the right to say just go to the Capitol uh, as a freedom of speech. But if you take action and you do certain things and you conspire with people to do things like overturn election. And you got a very clear uh, law that says certain things should happen with respect to the electors coming to Washington and then going through that process. And then the president who, I mean, vice president, who is just an honorary figure, all he's supposed to do is approve. Mm -hmm. So the fact that Trump is reaching out to him and saying, overturn this and let's yeah. put in fake electors, there's no safe thing. There's no, that's a break, you're breaking the law. Yeah. Uh, and that the indictment shows that. And so that's what I meant about it being very, very, very tight uh, because they're trying to make an argument about freedom of speech, but freedom of free speech is not going to cover this. Yeah. In my judgment. Well, we will stay tuned. Hopefully by the time you hear this, we will have a different decision or a different yeah. piece of discussion yeah. to have. But I think why it's important for you and your generation to pay attention, I know so much foolery going on out there because this stuff has implications. Let's assume for a moment that uh, these people had prevailed. That would have been the first time in the history of the United States that you did not pass the thing on peacefully. Yeah. From the former president to the new president. That means that puts you in a dictatorship. That puts you in an overthrow of government area. Right? Yeah. For the first yeah. time in America. And one of the things people talked about, the fact that America is an experiment. America is an idea. So mm -hmm. things have to be done peacefully. So yeah. when you don't do things peacefully, and you do things the way they attempted to do things, you in a whole nother arena. Yeah. Uh, arena that you haven't seen before. And so the question is, and the way I think it's important for people to understand and participate, do you want to have a system where you think you have a right to participate peacefully in your government, uh, vote, whatever, or do you want to be part of a, a, of a strongman dictatorship, you know, where one man can be in power mm -hmm. and say everybody just uh, respond to his will? Yeah, I, I don't want that. I, I would assume that most people in this country that consider themselves 
believing in some kind of democratic republic or democracy, we want that either. Yeah, I mean, I think to your point, what is is definitely important for us to stay vigilant. I think what has happened for our generation in particular, not the millennials and not those who are Gen Y or the alpha class now, is we're getting tired and weary. And I think we're weary from a couple of things. Of course, definitely the pandemic and then feeling like we've exerted a lot of energy to not really see something return fold. I mean, while we're glad we have the Democratic seat right now, things don't look that great. That doesn't mean they look bad, but they don't look that great. And then we have apathy of people behind mm-hmm, us. Mm-hmm. So we're we're trying to hold it together as the glue to continue the legacy of your generation and beyond and convince the group behind us to you know, join forces when all these external things are saying opposite. So we're kind of sandwiched in the middle of a few dedicated folks that are still being vigilant in this process of making sure that we uphold this experiment of democracy. Well, that's right, an experiment. Benjamin Franklin said, you know, speaking to a a colleague a long time ago in the early stage of America, you have a democracy if you can keep it. Uh, I mean, what he meant by that was clear. You're not going to have a democracy if you don't work to keep it. You're not going to have a democratic republic if you don't work to keep it. It's not going to be automatic. America is an idea. Yeah. America is an experiment. That I mean, cities uh, like Rome and other cities come and go. Yeah. We assume America that we know would always be here. But if you don't work to keep that America, it will not always be here. Yeah. Uh, it is very clear to me that you, if you do not participate and you're not engaged to keep this experiment going, you will have a dictatorship. Yeah. Now, and you will have a strong man or a strong woman in power. Do you want that? Yeah. Do you want to have a coup, which is what was almost about to happen? Or do you yeah. want to have a peaceful transition of government? I mean, we could be like what we see around the world, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I don't think we like that. Right. And I, I think, don't. but also, I think you got to understand too, Dad, you've been in other countries where you've seen that happen in witness. Mm. Right? And there are other people that are from other countries, like the gentleman, um, I, I believe his name is Ezra. I could be saying it. Ezra from Ezra, Ethiopia. You know, Ezra, who has, has spoken about this. So mm-hmm. you got to remember a lot of us, us, not a lot, some of us and those behind us have not traveled. So we don't know what that can look like we don't really know so it's one thing to hear it but it's something different to have lived it or to experience it and so now you're trying to convince people that don't know mm. what that could even look like are apathetic just because we're in post-pandemic and trying so to figure out this whole i, I follow so what you're saying sometimes you have to wait to the pandemic before you can appreciate the pandemic right so that's sad because sometimes you can't get out of that situation yeah. but you're right i mean I, I traveled to egypt during the time of the arab spring right and i saw how excited people were about that process of yeah. getting the right to be free to get the right to not be under a pharaoh or getting the right to not be under a strong man or getting the right to feel that they could uh, control their own destiny. What happened? Within just a few years after I left, the dictatorship or the strong man came to power, back yeah. into power. So that's what I mean about how delicate this thing is. If you talk to those Egyptians now, even though there may be some who, who like the idea of having other people tell them when to get up, when to go to bed, what to do. But a lot of people, I think if at the very essence of who I am, and I think a lot of people feel that way, I think most people want to be free. Yeah. Now, I could be yeah. wrong. I don't care whether yeah. young, old, or middle-aged. I think you want to be free. Nobody that I know of in his right mind, you know, wants to be a slave. Yeah. Or want to be enslaved. 
Mm -hmm. um, and maybe you don't know what that's like if you have not, as you pointed out, encountered slavery before or encountered injustice before or encountered somebody else making all the decisions for you. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe that's maybe that's a chance you take. I would like for us to take that chance. I think that's a, a bridge too far, but that's on yeah. my own opinion. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I do, and this can kind of segue into, you know, just the, uh, the process that are going on in Alabama. And then with my girlfriend in Mississippi, I fully believe in Jackson, I fully believe that there are, people are going to continue to fight and people are going to continue to be vigilant. I just worry that some of us will grow weary. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I hope I I'm, I'm still optimistic that, that we won't move into a dictatorship, but I wonder, I wonder if it's going to take very close remnants of it, maybe not going completely extreme, but really close remnants, which is very interesting because that's happening right now as I'm talking <laughs> with Florida, um, but in affirmative action, but, um, yeah, it's a it's a very interesting place right now because I even look at segueing into my girlfriend who was running for state rep in Jackson and I was there to help out during the campaign, the low voter turnout. Mm -hmm. And just the I don't know, just I, I don't even think it's apathy. I just think just you just don't care anymore mm -hmm. um about the whole political process. Yeah, well, you know, we talked about that earlier. One of the mistakes I think we have made if we put our faith in the elected politicians, that's not where democracy is. Democracy is in your participation, mm -hmm. your civic involvement, whether it's yeah. the school board, whether it's uh, you know getting your community up to par, whether it's the education system, it's your responsibility. As I said before, uh, in the quote from Franklin, we have a democracy, we can keep it. So when you get to a point where you abdicate your, that responsibility to some elected politician, whether they be rich or poor, you have given up. You yeah. elect these guys to represent you. And when they don't represent you, you get rid of them and you put somebody yeah. else there to represent you. So you don't get to the point of saying, well, um, they are corrupt. Yes, we know they've always been corrupt, right? Mm -hmm. But there have also been some good people that have represented the folk, but it's the people's responsibility to always be the difference. Yeah. And when you give that up, then you advocate. And when you advocate, then you're not a good place because there are these folk out here who will do what we just said. Yeah. But do it because of their own interest, not because they're going to serve you. Yeah. So yeah. I, I just have a real problem with people saying, yes, there's a little turnout, turnout no question about that. Mm -hmm. And they use that argument that, well, these politicians are not going to do anything. Well, what, what are you doing? in terms yeah. of not making sure that those people don't get back in office and don't do the same thing over and over again. Um, you got some agency here. We've talked about that. As a yeah. citizen, you remember Ms. Robinson that mm -hmm. says, you know, we have an agency. Yeah. This woman was 100 years old when we interviewed her. What she's saying is, if you don't buy into that, then you would be somebody who is not a citizen. Yeah. And that's not a place where you want to be. Well, we encourage you. Yeah, I mean, we encourage you. I talk about it. I, we had a session actually um, in our mentorship program for the uh, industry that I work in about self-advocacy. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, many of them didn't even know what that word was. And I purposely put it there so we could explore it and talk it through. You know, what does it look like to advocate for yourself? Because mm -hmm. once you advocate for yourself, you're able to advocate for others. So to know how uh, to know how to speak up ultimately, how to speak up on something, to do something, and not have this expectation that 
things will just happen to you by happenstance or it just falls, you know, into your mm-hmm. lap or mm-hmm. it just, you know, passes by. No, you can really advocate for mm-hmm. something. Um, at some level. I mean, yeah, at, some, at level. some level. And you yeah. can pick the levels. You don't have to be, as you say, the national person or the regional person or the state person. You can do that in your household. You do that in yeah. your church. You do that mm-hmm. in your community. Mm-hmm. Right? There are mm-hmm. things that you do to advocate to make things better for yourself and for other people. Yeah. And that's what you're doing in a democracy. That's why education is so important. You know, like civic, these kids come through school now. I know we talk about tech and that's good. We talk about, you know, science and that's good. We talk about artificial intelligence and all that stuff is good. But if you don't even know the whole framework of a constitution right. and what it means to be a citizen, or you don't know anything about your rights and the amendments to the constitution, or you have never read the constitution, don't even yeah. know what it's about. You hear mm-hmm. people quote it from time to time. But so all these other things are to no effect if you don't know those basic things, because those are things will can go away so quickly. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, if you don't be an advocate for yourself and an advocate for your community. Um, yeah. Be, and it's just, well, anyway. And these special interests now, because they're so huge and so much money, uh, they put this stuff up on TV with these ads, all these lies that they put up and people get overwhelmed. Right. Yeah. And they said, well, how should I go and do my own investigation when all I'm going up against all this power? I'm going up all against this money. Mm-hmm. Um, I just go back to people like Mark Moses that said, look, oh, in South Africa with Mandela. He says, you know, the mountain is there, but you find a way to get over that mountain, get around that mountain, go over that mountain, but you don't stop because that mountain is there. Yeah. And I always, you know, I, I preach this and I get this from you and others, you know, there's powers power in numbers. So that's mm. why the advocacy is so important. Mm. So if you are out there in the community, other people will see you and want to latch on to you or want to be encouraged by you. And they learn in passing. They may not necessarily read the Constitution themselves, but they may see you out there living the Constitution by by way in a positive way. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But they could do civic. I mean, they could do that. And yeah. they have to get it heavy into law and, you know, reading and interpreting the Constitution. But just kind of know what a citizen ought to do. Yeah. Uh, to be about and at, at that level where they are yeah uh and and then that's not the fault of all the young folk that's the fault of the bureaucracy and the education system that have allowed that sort of neglect to take place yeah know, it's true well we have two things that are going on dad stop saying there's enough on that dad's always talking about there's enough on that you all but i know you all are listening it, saying we want more we want more because i have my friend cornell if he's listening on facebook that always says this is not dad daughter uh, podcast. It's really just her dad, and you're just <laughs> you're just interviewing him. No, his dad not a podcast. <laughs> but um, you know, for those that are in Montgomery, and those are in Jackson, and those who are not, we do want to let you know about some of the things that are going on that you should be aware of. Speaking of advocacy, so even if you're not there, maybe you can tune in to the elections and send funding or send people that way or post something on Facebook or social. So other people outside of Montgomery and Jackson know what's going on. But dad, you tell us about Montgomery. I can speak to Jackson, but you share some of the things that are going on in Montgomery. You mean with respect to that uh, recent redistricting? Yeah, uh uh-huh, with respect to the redistricting. Well, that's another example of how in a democracy you have to fight. Of course, you know, we got Supreme Court justice and we know how that happened, right? 
Yeah. Uh, and so here's a situation where Montgomery, it didn't have the same percentage of, of uh, people of color in the uh, population as Mississippi, but it's still pretty high. It's, you yeah. know, it's close to 30%. It may be a little bit better than 30%. And they have only one uh, U.S. representative. And of course, the in, uh, in Alabama, like you do in Mississippi now, you have a super majority of Republicans, and I'm not being partisan here. It's just a reality. And so with these people in power, they gerrymandered the district in such a way that only one Black would be uh, elected to Congress. Uh, went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled, even this conservative Supreme Court ruled, that there ought to be at least two, or the possibility of these people to elect at least two. Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. uh, the Alabama legislature, the, again, the supermajority just ignored so yeah. far. So we'll mm -hmm. see. I think it's going to go back now and with another suit. But again, it's important for people to uh, not just let that slide, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and and make sure uh, that this goes back to the court, see what the court does. But as we have said all along, it's important for people to make sure that that court is such that it's also going to see fairness with respect to proportionality, with respect to voting and the population. Uh, I mean, that's what democracy is all about. So if you got a significant percentage of population, you ought to have a significant percentage of people who look like you, uh, who represent you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the same discussion that, you know, we were talking about earlier with uh, Mississippi and just a representation that we have there as well. Our lack yeah. of. Our lack of. Mississippi is a classical example. Up until 1952, it was uh, probably the only state in the union that had a significant majority black population. You see it now in California with uh, Hispanic being pretty much a majority, but in Mississippi, mm -hmm. it was better than 52% when I was coming along in, in elementary and middle school. Over time, because of migration, because of loss of jobs, a lot of blacks had to migrate to Chicago and other places, but, but now it's still about 40%. And you yeah. have one, one representative uh, because of gerrymandering. Yeah. Uh, there's no way uh, fairness and fairness that Mississippi ought not have two uh, elected uh, Black representatives to Congress. Okay, for all of those civic students right now in Mississippi and have an interest in going into politics, you now have an issue that you can be working on or, or at least bring light to. Um, you know, I truly believe that those are, there are so many issues going on in Mississippi, but definitely that gerrymandering thing and representation is going to be key. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, speaking of, you know, Jackson, I, you know, want to take executive privilege on this podcast to say that my girlfriend, Rukia Lamumba, is running for state representative for District 72 um, in Jackson, which encompasses kind of North Jackson and right on the line, I believe, of Madison, right? Correct. Um, Correct. Yeah, Jackson so the, right. quite a large um area, but yet she is now currently in the runoff. Um, if you all listen to the this podcast today is August 13th. So uh, she will be in the runoff at the end of this month here with another um, kind of quote unquote, they say legacy candidate. So um, if you're in Jackson, we support or I support Rukia Lumumba. Of course, we just ask that you go out and vote um, if nothing else, because during the main election, it was quite a low turnout. And so again, a little disconcerting there. I recognize it all. It's not all about the politician in the seat, but this is one step in a great direction for someone who is definitely committed to uh, wanting to see Jackson be better and greater. 
Well, thank you for that, Aisha. And I looked at some of the numbers around the state and there was a low turnout. One of the reasons why there's a low turnout, and we talked about that at a recent forum we had in Oxford. We had some candidates come over, both Republicans and Democrats. Uh, and I must tell you that one of the things that came up in the audience had to do with uh, participation and, yeah. and, and turnout. But one of the problems with the low turnout has to do with the barriers that people put up. Yeah. Uh, one of the candidates, a very, uh, I think, progressive young Republican candidate, he lost in the primary to two other guys who were less progressive than I thought he was. But he talked about this idea, which I always felt that you ought to make it easy for people to vote yeah. and not difficult. And they, they even talked about having a holiday uh, yeah. set aside where people don't necessarily have to focus on going to work or you know, have to get child care for their, for their children if they go to vote. But again, in addition to the thing about, you know, absentee voting and early voting, and that's another thing that people, we don't have in Mississippi, we don't have early voting, except for, you know, absentee voting, which is different, because yeah. that's a small of a number, and you have to give a reason for why you're voting absentee. So again, I was glad to hear these younger candidates even talk about the fact that we need to open up the process, change the system in such a way that you can encourage more participation, because like you are saying, and the other thing, we have this off year. The people are tired of, you know, Mississippi, for example, and some other states have their statewide election after the national election, mm, right? Or, mm -hmm. or a year or so before the election. Why can't we have the things set up so? So we're just taking a pause here for one moment while dad's answering a call okay thank you Aisha I'm gonna turn this to I thought I already had it on uh on off let me just turn this thing completely off so because otherwise I'm gonna be interrupted uh thank you yeah absolutely you all on Facebook please hold we have a, a baby boomer online Jeez. I'm trying to do multiple things um are we still <laughs> are we back yep we're back you see me uh-huh, I can see you. Okay, so uh, the whole idea that we need to open things up in such a way uh, that it makes it easier for people to, to vote, and I think that would help the turnout that you just talked about, that you saw there in the Jackson area, and I saw here in the North Mississippi area as well. And yeah. it was not only just uh, true of the Democratic primary, it was true of the Republican primary. That's another thing, too. We probably could get rid of these primaries, because you know the history of that having to do with trying to keep people from making sure that certain people get elected and just have an election in November or whenever mm -hmm. you decide to have it. You could run as a Democrat, you could run a Republican, you could run as an independent, you could run as none aligned. I think that would help the, the turnout as well and create a, 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 a system where people don't have to go back, uh, have a primary, do a runoff, and then have another election in November. And then in addition to that, also be on the opposite side of the national election. So that means people are voting sometimes four times that's in a lot. Uh, less than a year. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah, that's ridiculous. I remember my girlfriend from Australia, Caroline, who tunes in from time to time. Hello, Caroline. Shout out to her. Um, you know, she was just saying, wow, this election process is really complicated. You know, where I live, it's just, you know, as soon as you turn a certain age, they just mail you out a ballot. You know, it's just so a part of the whole process. It's not this kind of big parade that we make it to be um, here in the United States. Right, and it's part of the history too, you know, and I had some feedback, got some feedback on that and got some pushback on that, but I still make the argument 
that we have never been that friendly towards democracy. Yeah. Uh, we have been sort of friendly towards, um, I don't want to say it's elitism, but I said earlier that, you know, if, if a lot of people in power had their choices, uh, they don't want to see people participate. Yeah. And the more people participate, the more active and the more, um, how can I say, uh, robust your democracy can be. Yeah. Uh, but there's always been that, you know, push and shove in terms of, well, how much democracy do we really want to have? And that's why, you know, for a long time, women couldn't vote, black couldn't vote, poor mm -hmm. people couldn't vote, poor white mm -hmm. people couldn't vote. And that right, was a lot right. of our history, right? Uh, yeah. And just in recent years, within the last really few years that we've really had universal uh, suffrage. And I think that's something that people, now that they are close to that, they all not give that up. Yeah, I mean, we have comments, you know, in, in Facebook just talking about, well, we know if we make the voting process much easier, what that means, okay? We all know the truth of the matter. If you don't know the truth, we'll spell it out. That means that people that are of color or um, older or leaning left or not voting against your particular interest will have the opportunity to vote. Correct. Yeah. You so. have a more democratic process. That's it. Uh, you know, because I've said all along, we are, you know, we are, democracy is an idea. We've just said that. Yeah. But it's also democratizing. So that means we're constantly trying to grow and develop and be better. Yeah. It's yeah. not static, it's dynamic. Well, speaking of, you know, we talked about Mississippi and I, we talked a little bit about Alabama. For you all that don't know, we have a recording that's going to come out that happened before this recording where we actually went down to Montgomery, Alabama. And if you have not been to the Legacy Museum, I think it's called the Legacy Museum, Dad. Am correct. I getting that right? That's correct. The Legacy Museum um, <clears throat> that was founded by Brian Stevenson, <clears throat> who uh, wrote a phenomenal book that many of you may or may not know that just speaks to the criminal justice system and his uh, life working um, as a a defender and also a defense attorney. And there's also a uh, movie out as well. He has mm -hmm. a museum there that was able to, and he'll talk about this in a minute, but we were able to have a live podcast with some fantastic students that have a vested interest in learning more about civil rights and what's been going down here in the South over hundreds if you will, uh, years, but definitely in the past 50 to 60 years. So dad, tell us a little bit about that. And we will have that podcast coming up. Uh, Thank you, Aisha. Shortly. Thank you. That was uh, just briefly, uh, it's true. We had, I've, I've got an invitation from a group, uh, where actually uh, uh, a young woman who used to be a, a teacher there in, the, in, in one of the, in the Massachusetts school system, I think Everett, and she's no longer there. She's now a graduate student at the Hell School. And, uh, she planned a trip uh, for students and a sheriff of one of the counties there in Massachusetts mm -hmm. who come to, uh, they had not been to, uh, she had been to Montgomery before. Uh, he may have been, I can't remember, but this, clearly the students had not. I think there were three uh, uh, European American students and one um, black student and maybe one uh, Hispanic student. So it's mm -hmm. five, I think. Um, and so they came, they wanted to come and visit the museum. Uh, they wanted me to come and talk to them. I've been to the museum, I think this was my third time. And you're right, it's called the Legacy Museum. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's a place that's off from the Legacy Museum that's sort of a, um, a garden where you can go and 
they kind of reflect right on yeah. uh, what you see because there it reflects on 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 all the lynching that took place um, in this country and not just the South, but took place all over this country. And right. it was a chance for them to come and just kind of educate themselves about that history. Um, and I, if I may digress for a moment, you know, there are these people like that uh, infamous governor of Florida and others that talk about woke and they don't even know what woke is. By the way, uh, woke relates to uh, a guy named Leadbelly, who was a black uh, blues singer back in the 20s. Uh, I think he was from Louisiana. Uh, mm -hmm. And he had written a lot of uh, blues songs that later uh, some of your British um, singers and others have taken up. I mean, he probably was one of the greatest songwriters of, of the early uh, 20th century. But anyway, he, 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 uh, they used to go on this circuit uh, throughout the South and they would go into all kinds of places that were not too safe. Matter of fact, many of those places were dangerous because of the Klan and other, you know, um, um, activities that were taking place. So he would always say to uh, his his musician and other people to, to stay awake, mm -hmm. to be awoke, to protect yourself from uh, th this terrorism that was taking place at that time. And it's amazing how, you know, this many years later, uh, you have these idiots, uh, basically, for lack of a better word, that have taken a concept where they was meant for people to protect themselves uh, to now use it um, in social wars that they are now waging. Yeah. But make a long story short, these students who came down had a chance to see the actual religion. Uh, you know, they didn't have a chance to see all of it, or but they could get some feel for what they were like because uh, many of them will come back. They could not take it all in one day. But anyway, they took breaks. Yeah. And during those breaks, we would uh, have conversations about what they saw and what it meant. Mm -hmm. And I, I really was pleased with some of the, the European students who were, particularly from Massachusetts, who had this, um, this uh, belief uh, or had been led to believe because of lack of education that they had received that lynching only took place in the South. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. when he saw that, uh, or that slavery only took place in the South, and when he found out that Massachusetts and others were some of the, you know, first states to um, have enslaved people, mm -hmm. uh, he had never been taught that. Yeah. Even in Massachusetts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of miseducation, miseducation that our kids, black and white, have received over the years all over this country. And so by them coming there, they get an opportunity, at least in a small way, to begin to open their minds up and begin to educate themselves a little bit in ways that they would not have been educated had they not made that trip, had they not come down, had they not seen with their own eyes, and had they not had these discussions, which I found to be just quite uh, profound. And then, of course, you came in uh, along with Ashley and others, Ezra and others, and actually filmed them, which mm -hmm. later became part of a podcast, which is now out there, and which you've just mentioned will be released for people to see. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, there's so much to, you know, first, I'm I'm really glad that the students had an opportunity to come to the South for uh, the first time and glad that this program is, um, even though, quote unquote, not necessarily largely official, but an official program that's coming from Brandeis to do that. You know, I'm also really glad that that you stay involved in these conversations, because I know, 
it's easy for me to say, dad, you should talk about it, but you also live through a lot of it. So in essence, it's, it is, it can be traumatic and it may even be for you traumatic. You probably don't express that all the time, but I, I don't think I've recognized until just recently what that feels like to ask someone to keep kind of reliving an experience. You know, I, we talk a lot about LGBTQ plus folks coming out and having to constantly tell the story over and over again, but not to compare it, but I do, as another example, asking some of our veterans of the civil rights movement to constantly talk about this stuff. Yes, from an educational standpoint, which is absolutely important, but you're also reliving this too. So oh, I absolutely, I mean, you're right about that. Even thank you, Aisha. We yeah. were there at the museum and I was in the corner and, uh, you know, I was I was uh, listening to Billie Holiday. You know, Billie Holiday is one of my favorite singers. Mm -hmm. And she was singing this song about strange fruit. Right. And mm -hmm. the people that don't know strange fruit was about the lynching. And this song, if you've not heard this song from Billie Holiday, I hope people in our audience would uh, take the time to go and, and Google uh, Billie Holiday's strange fruit. He, she did not write the song because at the time, the you know, the, the people in New York and other Publishers did not want to actually uh, put this song out because yeah. they perceive it to be too too powerful, right? But eventually, uh, some entity did do it. But anyway, while the song was while Billy Holiday was singing this song, and I was looking at this uh, uh, this picture of uh, some black people being lynched. Yeah, I mean, I, I broke down, I cried because, and then some student came up to me and said. He looked at me and, you know, kind of comforted me while I was, because, I mean, they recognized just how powerful um, yeah. that scene was and how powerful that song was and how what terrorism, you know, did to a country and did to a people. Mm -hmm. And to see it there displayed in that museum, I mean, Brian has just done a phenomenal job of not trying to scare people, yeah. uh, not trying to make people feel uncomfortable. But the bottom line is there's no way uh, if you're a human being, uh, that you can go through the museum in Jackson or the museum in Washington or the museum in, and the Legacy Museum in, uh, in Montgomery and not be touched if you're a human yeah. being yeah. Uh, by this. Uh, uh, so yeah, um, I, I try to do it. Matter of fact, Thursday night, I'm going to be talking to a group of graduate students, mm -hmm. uh, a class that one of the people have asked me to tune in on and kind of um, co-teach a class that deal with some of these issues um, that we're talking about uh, about today, going back to 1619 all the way up to, you know, where we are now. Yeah. So that's why, you know, it's so important that, you know, these things, uh, you know, about teaching history within the school systems is so critically important. Because even when when it wasn't this huge push per se, there's still so many students as the students we saw um from Boston that just were not aware of what was going on all across the country the other piece too that I just want to add in there is you know we continue to have this conversation around you know well, I'm glad I live in this state versus that state but the reality is systematic racism is all around us and so it's imperative for us to have a full understanding of what that is so that we can really speak on it and help to eradicate it so you know, like we've talked about before so many times, you know, and you say this so eloquently each time, and I quote it sometimes that, the, you know, one of the good things that the United States is good about or Americans are good for is being living in a state of denial. And I think 
that is the piece that we're trying to get across that you can't erase history. You can't erase what happened. You can not talk about it, but Mm -hmm. you can't erase it. And it's so important to talk about it because we can't get to the other side if we don't talk about it and just say, this is what happened. We're trying to get to a better place, but this still is what happened. And this is the truth. That's right. America is one country. There are variations on the theme, but it's one country. And and so in this one country, you know, we've talked about the the institution of slavery. And you know, in 1619, a lot of people have a problem with it, but it's yeah. American original sin. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna be with us um for, forever, really. Uh we can atone, we can get better. But like you said, one of the things you got to do is always confront the reality. I mean, whether it's dealing with the Jews in Germany, then one of the things that I really appreciate. The Jewish community about is that they may uh they always say remember mm-hmm. uh, and never forget. Do, do, does that mean they don't move on? Of course they move on. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing that's impressive about Germany, even though this evil thing happened in Germany, Germany has been upfront with it mm-hmm. and recognizing this is part of their history and not trying to deny it. The other thing that the German people have done, which I really appreciate, and perhaps we should have learned that lesson and didn't learn that lesson, is that you don't put up monuments to people who were treating us, yeah, uh, as we did long after the Civil War, uh, because what that does is talking about you know the remaking history or changing yeah. history or trying to see history differently. Is when you do that, then you can live in denial. Yeah. Because you don't confront the reality of what happened. Do you move on from that? Yes. Have we done great things since that time? Absolutely. But we are one country and there are variations on this theme. And that's all part of our history. And you cannot, you can wish it away. You can hope it away. But it's there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know, speaking of which, I know you're doing some work with the school system in, in Ashland. And with the folks in Brandeis, is that something is that something that you all are talking about or what is that work that's going on? I'm just trying to bring light of all the things that dad does, y'all. Yeah, Even well, the he's a baby that, boomer. Yeah, the that I'm, I'm not the one dimensional, um, not <laughs> less you, less your uh, audience assume that. Now, this this uh, remote program that we uh, have going on with Brandeis is really focused on math and science. Yeah. Uh, primarily because uh, we find uh, there are other areas where there are weaknesses as well, but we find this has been an area where it's been a uh, uh, it's it's a it's a, a predominantly poor white county, uh, although the majority of the students there are black students, and that uh, we have two schools. One is doing relatively well. When I mean relatively well, I mean they're performing at a at a proficient level, but the other school is not doing as well and not performing at a proficient level, particularly in math and science. And so what we've done is we've encouraged uh, the math, the chairman of the math department and some people in education there and some of the undergraduate students who are very good in math and science to agree to do some mentoring and some tutoring. Uh, the program now has been planned. It's going to take off in January nice. where uh, they will be working with students real time and with faculty real time to try to improve uh, the kids' uh, test scores in math and science. Uh, and technology. So this particular program uh, focuses on math, science, and technology. Uh, that's not to say that I'm not, don't spend time talking to the principal and the U.S. history teacher and going to those <laughs> classrooms from time to time 
to see what they are doing. And if I see them not doing something, then I bring that to the attention of the principal. Hopefully he'll bring it to the attention of the teacher about uh, the need. Because Mississippi does have a law, and I serve on the Mississippi Civil Rights uh, Commission that mandates uh, that civil rights uh, be taught uh, in the curriculum. Yeah. So oh, yeah, but, but this focus is on math and science and technology. Okay. Well, definitely, you know, if there's any ways that you want to contribute, let us know on the podcast about this. As you can see, dad is doing a lot. He's he's advocating, okay, for his community, for his new community, his old community, and brid- bridging gaps between communities. And that's the work. That's what it's about. Now, granted, he's retired, okay? So he has time. You know, you're, us working folks out here, we're trying our best. But do know, that you know any small step is is really about continuing this piece around the idea of democracy yes so lastly on a lighter note we had our family reunion in dallas texas if you all know i think on two different podcasts already of the two years we've been talking about our family reunion so we had it again in dallas texas this was hosted by one of our younger groups of millennials usually we you know have older folks that tend to host it but this was a good time had by all it was really hot but we had a we had a really good time so this kind of just speaks to not only the relationship that dad and I have but just the importance of family getting together and how we value that yeah we do family is very important and you know we just talked at the at the intro before the intro about my brother Andre who is running for senate by the way that's right. Uh, yeah, and uh, and and it covers more than than one county in northern Mississippi. But we had a he had a birthday yesterday, so family members got together. You know, we always find a way as a family to get together. Yeah, uh, and including the one that we just mentioned, you just mentioned about Dallas. So we've been doing this for what uh, forty, really, for before you were born, uh, mm-hmm. forty plus years, where the two families come together to celebrate. Because uh, I think family is important. My my, you know, we've talked about my mother, my father, my grandparents, uh, my great grandparents that, that that purchased land here in Lafayette County, or Lafayette County, Mississippi, in 1870, right after the Civil War, and I still have some of that land today, mm-hmm. um, because family is just so important uh, to get together and to embrace not only the older generation but the the current generation and the ones to come, mm-hmm. and um, we 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 think it's it's imperative that we that we do that. Just like the community is important, mm-hmm. democracy is important. Um, we think family is important, and at least our family. Uh, you've seen that since you've been on this earth. How you know we've always um, embraced family and talked about the importance of family. And I think that um, you know we got that from our parents and grandparents and on both sides. And yeah. uh, that's something that we don't take for granted. It's something we embrace and something that we we advocate for. Yeah. Um, and we don't, we don't, we're not in your face with it. Uh, we understand that there are certain people that have not had that kind of, of community. Right. And, and uh, we don't take that for granted, but we have been fortunate enough to have it and we still um, lift it up as being very important. Yeah. Well, we're, you know, just so you know, thanks to those who host it in, in Dallas and we plan to go to Charlotte next year. So we are excited about that. And to dad's point, you know, we're not here to boast. We're very 
thankful. I'm very thankful to have such a large family where we all have different pockets. We're pretty large. So it doesn't mean everybody's getting together all the time, but there are still pockets that are very close knit. And then we all come together once a year. But if you don't have that, I mean, still seek out family or people that can be like a family for you. Because just like me, I've been going through a couple of things this summer Mm -hmm. and having family to reach out and say, you know, stay connected, stay in touch and things like that is, it really is. It's very important because when you're kind of siloed to yourself, you know, and your own thoughts, that necessarily is not always the best thing. Sometimes you need that. You need some quiet time, but not all the time. So that's right. And we've had a session on mental health and at some point, I guess in the future, we'll probably have another one mm-hmm. um, because we thought that was very important. But keep in mind that when we get together, you know, uh, it's not all about just having fun. We have fun as well and we celebrate, yeah. but we also have scholarship that we've set up uh, yeah. to encourage those young people who go on to college or go on to uh, tech mm-hmm. school that we can give them some money, uh, not a lot, but give them some. And yeah. then you also have this uh, this piece that uh, where we have an opportunity to get highlights from what uh, young people have been doing, yeah. uh, the achievements. And so we get a chance to highlight that. And I'm always just amazed how a lot of these young people are just really climbing and just doing great things, not only for their, their own families, but for their community and for the country. Yeah. Uh, and so we get a chance to highlight that as well. Well, Dad, it looks like we're done. I think we covered as much as we could cover knowing that we have been gone for a little while. Again, you know, thank you to all the folks on Facebook and to our podcasters. Like I said, Dad has been on it, you know, saying, listen, we need to get back on the saddle and make sure that we continue this thing out. So, Dad, thank you for pushing me to make sure that we get back on our schedule. Well, thank you, Aisha. But see, what happened is when you came up with this idea, see, you ignited a spark, and now you can't put that spark <laughs> out. Uh, the, the, the other piece is, though, that, uh, you know, it's not a chance for us to just say to, to, to jabber as we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we think that there are issues out there, and this is a space, and you rightfully said that, this space uh, is not that common, and we ought not to take it for granted. We ought to, if we get an opportunity to use this space, uh, let's do it. So thank you for, for starting this process and igniting this spark and open this light bulb up and now you can't close it <laughs> Now we can't turn it off. We can't turn it off, everybody. <laughs> Um, Well, just so you all know, if you didn't know, if you're a new subscriber or a new listener, we do have a book as well um, called Dad Daughter Dialogues that is available for sale, both on Amazon, but also on our on my website at AishaDeBerry.com. So I just want to put that out there as you're thinking about holidays coming up. I know school's right now, so that might be a priority if you have kids or grandkids. But um, as you're going into the holiday season, consider buying our book, Dad Daughter Dialogues, which is really imprint our podcast. So we would love for you to think about making the purchase or gifting it to someone else. She's also been uh, modest, folks. She's also, I mean, once she became an author, it's just a book that caught on. She also has, uh, she and a colleague of hers from high school uh, have published another book, uh, which I didn't know about until after the fact, but I've had a chance to read it. So just say a word about that book as well, Aisha. Yeah, we had, well, I just put it out, you all, because it was anticlimactic. Even dad didn't know about the book, but it's around diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's called An Apple a Day. You can find it on Amazon. 
And it's basically just a mini toolkit for folks who are just kind of trying to maneuver what equity looks like in their workplace or in a nonprofit or place and space and now need to be an inclusive leader. All these terms are just being thrown at you and you don't really know what to do. So this book will at least give you a baseline of that so you can start. It's a good, um, it's a good read. It's a good read. And I say you, 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 you co-edited with somebody who, who is yep. a science fiction writer and, uh, and Aisha managed to bring the science fiction writer back to reality. That's and right. I, I, th I think you would like to read, folks. Please check it out. Yes. Yeah, shout out to A.S. Lewis. Shout out and happy birthday to Uncle Andre. Um, again, shout out to all the students everywhere going wherever you are from pre-K all the way to professional schools. So um, we shout you out as well as those that are getting ready to enlist in the military or returning wherever they're going in the military, job corps, all the things, technical school. We just are proud of you. Dad, you know, of course, is big on education. So I want to make sure we recognize all of you. Thank you. All right. Well, Dad, that's it for us this time. You all, you know, tune in. Thank you all so much on Facebook. We're going to close out for our listeners, but Thanks again, Dad, as always. One love. All right, Facebook, we are going to say goodbye or you can stay around and listen as we close out for our wonderful podcasters. So for our podcasters, if you would like to connect with us, also, if you're on Facebook, you know, email us at daddaughterdialogues at gmail.com. That's daddaughterdialogues with an S at gmail.com. And let us know how we're doing as well as what you'd like to hear us discuss. Dad and I come up with all these topics, but we love to hear what you want to hear from us. Maybe you want to hear something more personal. Maybe you want more of what you're hearing, let us know. We're also on Facebook at Dad Daughter Dialogues and on Instagram. We're starting to get more followers, so we're excited about that. So you can make a comment there as well. If you go to our Facebook or our Instagram page, you will also find some merchandise that you can purchase um, that says Dad Daughter Dialogues and a couple of other statements, or consider being a monthly subscriber. If you subscribe to this podcast, that helps us keep this going. We have to get this edited and also posted up. So we have to actually pay someone. So anyone that chooses to subscribe, we really appreciate it. And we'll have a special gift for you. We appreciate you tuning in and ask that wherever you are to be and stay safe. Enjoy Beyonce. Thank you. <laughs> That's right. Beyonce. I'm going to the Beyonce concert, you all. All right. Take care, everyone. Have a good one. This is the love. This is the love. This is the love that makes me strong. This is the love that makes me strong. Yeah, this is the